My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of expert information and real chats on all things pregnancy, birth and beyond. Remember, as a podcast listener, you can get 15% off my online courses at midwifepit.com using the code podcast15. Now, as a mum, I completely understand the want to play with your little one in a way that will help them to learn, thrive and meet all of their developmental milestones as they grow. But often we end up in a sea of toys that just overwhelms us all. And did you know that 90% of your child's brain structure is developed by age five? Well, today's episode is brought to you by Love Every, maker of stage-based play kits for ages naught to four years. The play kits aren't just boxes of toys. Each item is carefully designed by child development experts to be exactly what your child needs. As parents, We can help our children build brain connections in the early years through developmental play. And each play kit comes with a play guide, chock full of expert advice, developmental information, guidance and fun play ideas too. Love Every did all the research on what's best for your child's developing brain so you don't have to. And just for Midwife Pip listeners, you can use the code PIP20 for £20 off new play kit subscriptions at loveevery.co.uk. That's code PIP20 for £20 off a new play kit subscription. £10 off your first play kit and £20 off your second. Have a little look at the episode description for the T's and C's. And I am so excited for this week's guest, Jessica Rolf, because Jessica is the co-founder and CEO of Love Every, an early learning system that supports families with stage-based play essentials for children and multi-channel content for parents. Prior to Love Every, Jessica was the co-founder and COO of Happy Family helping to launch, build and lead Happy Family into its position as a top organic baby and toddler brand in the US. She also co-founded the Climate Collaborative, a non-profit organisation, helping companies in natural product industries to take meaningful steps to reverse climate change. Jessica and her husband, live in the US and have three children themselves, so really have experienced the importance of child development and play. So welcome, Jessica, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful being here. I'm first of all really impressed that we're just here, 
because I always feel like when you're recording across time zones, just both being in the right place at the right time is a miracle. It's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) We made it. We made it. Now, Jessica, tell me, why was Love Every built? Because to me, it seems Finley and I play with the toys and we love them. And it seems like genius that someone else can do all the work and I just do the fun play stuff. But what drove you to to become involved with it? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of experiences that we have as parents where we feel like we don't quite know if there's something that we're missing. Mm -hmm. And I had that experience as a new parent. I knew everything there was to feed my baby because I had built co-founded the number one organic baby food company in the U.S. But I found myself really wondering what was going on with my child's developing brain and what was happening, what was happening during playtime. I remember I had one of those plastic flashing lights toys. We all probably have them in our, in our homes, but I remember my little one pulled himself up to this tabletop and he pushed one button and all of a sudden like a purple cow came out and music started playing and lights were flashing. And I was really craving this moment of connection with him. But I found myself with this toy between us. And I was wondering, what is this toy actually doing for him? And what are all the things that we have in his environment? He's just sitting here in this playroom with all this stuff. What is this doing for this important time of his development? And so this sounds really nerdy, but I I actually, I discovered a doctoral thesis written on infant brain development that totally changed the way that I engaged with my child. And so this, this doctoral thesis was written for each stage and it took all the science on early learning and put it into a program for parents. And it had nothing to do with the toys in my house. It had everything to do with really engaging with my child in play to bring in kind of the real life learning into di- in different development moments. And I found this moment of, I found this moment of connection. I found confidence. I really understood what he was trying to learn. And I felt like I was making the most of this important time. So mm-hmm. that sort of became, became Love Every. I love that message. And I, I've heard before, actually, those be- like beautiful light up plastic toys that are just hideous, aren't they? We have to hide them in the to- toy box. Um, but we all admit to having at least one of those, I'm sure. But literally, it's pressing a button, isn't it? And that's it. Like, they're learning to press that button, they get a response. And then there's nowhere else you can really go with that toy. So it's a few minutes of like, great, happy baby pleasure. And then it's like, well, what's next? Um, yeah. And so that can end up being a non-sustainable way really of toys because they are very plastic based aren't they and sometimes really large as well in terms of practicality um but also actually really not financially great for parents especially in today's times because these toys are often quite expensive quite large take up a lot of space and they're giving you two minutes of joy and like you say not optimizing what's going on with our little people's brains and we know we know don't we they're like sponges when they're little because they pick up on all the things that we do and don't want them to pick up on so why is it Jessica that playtime is so important for our little people's development yeah and I just want to kind of go back to that plaything story and think about what is happening in terms of a neural connection building the neural foundation of you know our our future selves in those early years and what's happening is that a child is so hungry to understand cause and effect so they are like wow when i push this button all of a sudden i'm going to memorize the sequence of events there's a there's a flashing light there's a purple cow there's a whatever it is the music starts playing whatever the thing happens to do mm-hmm. the child is 
fascinated and very entertained. However, those neural connections are not built in a lasting way because none of that has anything to do with real life. So there's never a situation in real life where you push a button and all of a sudden a purple cap pops out or music plays or whatever it is. But there is a whole amount of real life cause and effect learning that can happen just in your environment. So we talk at Love Every about taking your baby on house tours. And we have a lot of examples in our play guides and our and our uh, programming that comes with the play kits. But we talk about house tours. So if you turn on and off a light switch in the house, or you go around and you find all the places where there's water and you turn the water on and off, or you slowly open a cupboard door, that is fascinating learning. You will find that your child is riveted with mm-hmm. this real life experiences. And they are truly, they're programming their brains to understand deeply how the world works. And that is meaningful learning. And that is what builds this foundation of networks that are so important for kind of fu- our future selves. So back to playtime, you know, learning happens through play, but not all play is the same. And I would say that there is a lot of intention around bringing the right kind of um, nuances of what a child is hungry to experience at each stage, plus then your involvement. And I think that, you know, there's a question, how much should we let our children independently play? How much should we be playing with them? Um, it changes over the different stages of life uh, for your child. But I think that there's a lot of of learning that can happen through play. Mm-hmm. And can I just touch on Jessica, what you just mentioned there with that independent play? So presumably that's our little one's doing their thing um, and obviously we're, we're there from a safe distance depending on their age how how much do you think that is something that we sh- we should be doing and how much should we be there fully engaged with them at all times I mean there's no there's no real scientific answer to this question but it is the question that we all have as parents we're what? like how much can we just let our child engage with the things around them or how much do we need to be involved I think a couple things to keep in mind One is to set up their environment so that you can foster that desire for independent play. You Mm -hmm. talked about all the stuff in our playrooms. Typically, you know, the typical home has so many toys and actually too many toys can can lessen our children's ability to have deeper, more meaningful play. And so a lot of research has proved this, that, you know, that, that it's not really about how many toys that a child has but how, what kind of toys that they're playing with, allowing them to go deeper. And so the question is, is how can you provide, you know, Montessori has this toy rotation concept where you put in a few toys at a time and you rotate them every few days or every week or every even a couple weeks, depending on your child's interest level. And if you know what stage your child is in, let's just, your little one is 18 months old. Yes. Uh, and, you know, and one of the things that that defines an 18 month old is the desire for posting. It's a very technical term, but it is sticking little things into little holes. Yeah. And they want to Generally, progressively get biscuits down the radiator. Exactly. Biscuits <laughs> down the radiator. Perfect. And they're, <laughs> your little toddler is going to find ways to practice this skill. Mm-hmm. But if you give them play things that progress their skills, so you start with a larger peg that can go into a larger hole, and then they can refine their fine motor skills and work and concentrate. And to then be able to put, for example, a coin through a slot where they have to rotate their wrist, to then being able to put poke smaller and smaller objects into holes and eventually being able to kind of push them through, have the items disappear, rediscover them again. This is 
actually years of learning for your toddler. So they begin to be interested in this concept around, you know, 11, 12 months, they will be interested for many months. But if you can give them a way to focus and practice, you will find that they engage in independent play for a long time, you know, many minutes at a time, you know, for a toddler, a five, 10, 20 minute session is a really long time. And so I find that if my child is engaged in something that is a work for them, that play that's work, they're putting things, they're working on building their fine motor skills or working on a problem, solving a puzzle, um, that they really engage for a long time on their own. There is a place though for, for play with your toddler. And that's when they get frustrated, when they um, find, you find that they're moving from one item to another item really quickly and not really focusing or getting much out of that play. You can then help them kind of co-focus. Um, they learn focus from you. So you can sit down with them and together you can both work on something together and help them through their moments of frustration. And then imaginative play which, you know, really starts to come online around three and four, but has some beginnings earlier. So you can help them kind of learn to pretend to play to care for a doll or, um, you know, feed you, or you could pretend to feed them or these very simple kind of care play helps build their, their, their ability to imagine. You can really help scaffold that learning for them. So powerful, isn't it? What we can do. And it's simple things. I think we we forget sometimes and almost overcomplicate it. But listening to you speak there, Jessica, I was thinking of all the times that me and my little boy run around the house pretending to be trains. <laughs> you know, for us, that's just crazy everyday part because he's obsessed with trains at the moment. But actually, that's our that's our bit of imaginative play together um, that that we engage in. It's those simple things. And actually, when you do engage or you're watching your child really embrace play it's just beautiful isn't it it's absolutely heartwarming and and so lovely so what would you say Jessica talking about that imaginative play because so you know some mums might be listening thinking oh yeah we do that you know all the time and and others might be thinking actually what defines imaginative play how do you recommend in your experience that we do inc- do play in a way that will help to encourage our child's imagination to thrive? Yeah, so this kind of true imaginative play happens again around three or four. So it's, you know, that's when they're really pretending to be someone or something else. Yeah. You know, they're, they're really thinking about, uh, they're using their imagination and they're really embodying something else. In the early years between zero and three, we find that they're really anchored and grounded on real life. And so whatever we can do to help give them really rich real life experiences, whether that's through books, um, all of our Love Every books have real photographs of children going through very simple stories, um, or you can help them through um, understanding, you know, again, more and more how the real world works, they're going to want to copy that and build their, they're going to use their imagination to pretend something that they've already experienced in their life. So they'll want to, again, you know, the playing the choo-choo train is so fun because they want to, you know, follow you and they've played with trains before, then they want to, you know, be the train and have you follow them or chase them around. You know, I think that it doesn't, it, it does come naturally. So your role doesn't have to be too demanding. It's kind of following their lead, um, maybe starting to engage a little bit in let's feed the doll together or let's uh, let's take care. Let's put, you know, so-and-so in the bath and even if the bath is dry, you can pretend to give, you know, a stuffy a bath, you know, reassuring them 
um, that it is pretend, you know, that, that just kind of saying, let's, let's really, you know, um, I think sometimes, you know, you're like, Rawr, like a, you're more like a lion, you know, you're, you're not a lion, you know, kind of reassure I'm playing, I'm playing pretend with you, but I think it's just a few minutes. It doesn't have to be this big assignment for us as parents. It's just getting down on their level and playing for a few minutes a day or a few minutes every few days really helps them to build their imaginative skills. Definitely. And it's so fun, isn't it? We're all children inside, really. So we can kind of embrace that and bring it out, which I love. Um, and we talked a little bit, Jessica, I mentioned it in the introduction, and then and then you've kind of reiterated it really about number of toys. And certainly, I think lots of parents do feel this pressure that their children need to have this whole playroom or, you know, whole space that's packed full of toys, and they need loads of different things. What what is the truth around number of toys, Jessica? And, and how many toys should a, does a child need? I guess it's going to depend on on age, isn't it? But as a guide, I guess. Yeah, you know, I think we think about um, you know kind of mon- the Montessori toy rotation approach. We think about something like around eight to twelve toys at any given time. You know, I think that it depends obviously on their on their age, but I think if you can arrange them on a low shelf so the child can really find them themselves. Um, we have a shelf at Love Every where there's a storage in the back, so there's sort of hidden storage where you can store all the stuff that you're not pulling out, but then. And um, bring out these items for the child and so that they can pick them themselves. And then, you know, I think over the next few weeks or or time that you're you're observing your child, see what attracts them. What is what draws their attention and what what do they like to do? Um, you know, it's it's interesting because they might be really fascinated with an old toy, a puzzle that they've already mastered, something that they've already played with. You might notice that they play with this in a new way or they repetitively kind of quickly do the puzzle or they quickly complete the activity. And that kind of learning is they're going back to something and that learning is really important for them. It's not about necessarily pushing them forward, but it's about um, giving them something that they can feel confident with that they've mastered. So I would say, um, you know, some some favorites on the shelf can stay there for a long time. You don't have to rotate things in and out in a in a super structured way, but it's about having these materials available for them to independently go th- go to them. One tip is to undo work. So in Montessori, they talk about Montes- the work of the child. Um, so if there is a puzzle, for example, you can take the pieces out of the puzzle and leave them in a little basket, and then have the blank base. Um, be there. So it's an invitation for the child to come in and complete the puzzle. Oh, and that's such a good tip. So I um I have got one of your play shelves as well as your your subscription toys we've had since Finley was quite little. Um, and it's like Christmas Day when they arrive. I love it. We all love it. We all get excited because we're like, oh, because they are so beautiful. Honestly, I feel like the toys should go on. We've got like a big uh, wall unit in our living room. I feel like they should be displayed there because they're so beautiful as well. Um, it's not the sort of things that you need to hide away in the tool bo- in the toy box, which is lovely because that can sometimes be a rarity with children's toys. Um, but I did exactly that because I was researching what, what I was going to put out and what I was going to put at the back, like you say, so it's all stored away and they can't get to them. And prior to using the the kind of play shelf, what I'd done was I had like a unit with baskets. So it looked quite nice when it was tidied away because everything was in baskets. But toddlers are very, very sort of 
up together with emptying baskets. So what would happen within 10 minutes was despite my best efforts, stuff was everywhere. Um, as pretty as it looked, it just wasn't practical. So I kind of learned that the hard way. Um, and actually for us, the play shelf was an awesome solution because like you say, it's all in the back. So it's there in the room, but little hands can't get to it. Um, but but for parents that are sort of having the same issue as me, because I know there's lots of pretty baskets for children, actually sometimes it needs to go somewhere separate, whether that's in like a wardrobe or even in a different room so that you don't end up with everything out. Um, and we started doing, like you just said, popping things separate to the product. So rather than it all being like a ready toy, um, and that's really helped Finley actually, he'll quite often just take himself off and, and start playing with things on, on his own accord. Sometimes actually, I think I'm doing this beautiful job of engaging him and playing, and he just turns around and wanders off and starts doing his own thing. I'm like, oh, my job here is done. Um, but it does, I've definitely seen how much of a difference it makes having less available and having toys undone and allowing them the opportunity to then engage with them. It really does. Simple things that make such a big difference. Yeah. And it's so interesting to think about these. Um, we talk about these play schemas. So there are these these sensitive periods for play at different stages. So what, what your little one is showing you is that they want to dump out and to dump out and fill containers is fascinating for toddlers <laughs> for so many months. And at Love Every, we have a the first plaything that shows containment. This is this concept of like what containers contain what and how can I undo things and dump things out and how can I fill containers? Then it becomes how can I walk around with the container? So I don't know if you've noticed your little one yeah. carrying the basket that we have um, with little things in them. Yeah. They want to take things with them um, as they start to move. So I think that it's about understanding, you know, this this play schema, this 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 activity that your child wants to repetitively do. And then, yeah, not having a ton of baskets of things so that all the puzzle pieces and all of the bits get mixed in together. Um, and then you have to, you know, kind of undo them at some point later in the day. So I think it's about tuning in, but are there other opportunities to dump? Are there other opportunities? We have that clear plastic tube that comes um, with the earlier play kits. Children love to put blocks and and balls and watch them come through the tube. And research shows that if you give your your baby and your toddler a tube, as well as a pot and pan and a, and a basket and some of the other things, that they have actually a deeper understanding of this concept of containment because they can understand what does not contain. And so, you know, they they are fascinated to understand not only what keeps things in, but also what drops out, what will not contain. So I think that it's it's just interesting to kind of give them those experiences and tune in, okay, they want to dump right now. How can I give them more experiences to dump and fill containers? Yeah, that's a great tip. And I remember speaking to a uh, child nutritionist on here who, when we were talking about food throwing, was speaking about something similar. You know, they need this understanding of gravity and to practice throwing. So practice that with playthings away from mealtime. Um, and I guess it's the same kind of principle, right? Yes, absolutely. It's it's the same thing. It's it's they're just really understanding the real world through their engagement with these items. And so if you can know what development window is kind of opening in their brain and how to meet them where they are, um, that that will that can really help. Now, Jessica, I've got a question that I think probably lots of brand new mums are thinking, and I definitely felt this. You kind of prepare for birth, you get your baby here, you get them home. And then I was a bit like what do I do with you 
which I know yes. sounds crazy. Yes. When you've got a little person that's actively playing, it's kind of a little bit easier because you can follow their lead, right? But when they're really small and you want them to start smiling and meeting those really, really early, tiny baby milestones, what should we do? What can we do? And I know you've got a play kit that's designed for really, really little people. Um, but any tips for those mums? Any advice? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this question because I had the same question myself and I was like, <laughs> okay, you're fed. You've, you've, you've slept. You're now, uh, curious. I can tell you're curious. And almost sometimes our babies are fussy, not mm. because they are hungry or they want to go to sleep, but actually because they're craving stimulation. They're actually craving some kind of input. And so I think oftentimes we're so good at the care, um, but we're not, we don't know what to do with playtime. So yeah. with newborns, a lot of the things that are developing and coming online for them, there is actually so much brain growth happening in those very, from the very beginning of life. And what they're trying to figure out is their brain eye connection. And so you notice that babies love to look at high contrast, but if you can give them this sort of steady diet of increasingly complex images to look at, you will find that your baby is absolutely riveted. Mm -hmm. They are focused. They are, they're, they're able to practice visual tracking or auditory tracking with a black and white rattle, for example. Um, so at Love Every, we have this progressively get kind of diet of progressively complex images and parents just tell us how engaged their, their babies are are. The other thing is that they're really connecting with you and they're looking for the skin and skin connection. So I recommend, and I know you, you do too, you know, skin time after the hospital or after, you know, the birth center, it's always so good to just continue to give them that skin on skin, that sensory input that they really need. And then talking to them. So it's very awkward to talk to a baby that doesn't talk back to you. But the more you can practice that vocalizations and connecting with them and talking to them in the beginning, they don't understand what you're saying, but they are taking in the rhythms of language. They're taking in the rhythms of language from birth. And that really does build their capacity for um, being able to speak speech and language later on in their lives. So I think the more you can kind of practice that little, that baby talk, the parent, they call it parent ease and child development speech but that kind of highs and lows and, you know, just speaking to the baby in this kind of sweet way, um, the more that input, that language input can really promote brain development. Yeah, I love that. And that, actually babies can hear in the womb from like 16 to 18 weeks gestation. So you speaking to them on the outside is, is such a comfort as well, because they recognize, you know, that's mommy's voice or that's daddy's voice. Um, so actually it's, it's a comfort as well as as development, which is which is so lovely, isn't it? So so nice that they have that kind of kind of memory. And um, so so some of our top tips, I suppose, so far have been that toy rotation. And you said eight to twelve toys at one time. Was that right? Yes, around around eight to twelve. I mean, and you they don't even have to be toys. They can also be things that you find if if you can supervise them. If it's safe, they can have things from around your house that are interesting to them. So you can kind of rotate in. You know, whether it's. Um, uh, you have to supervise them with pom-poms, but if there's something with pom-poms or, you know, poking, poking pom-poms through or um, an exercise with, uh, I don't know, you know, we, we talk about like for a baby putting in 
this um, makeup brushes that are very soft for them to have different textile, you know, different textures for them to experience. Um, so there's a lot of different toothbrush, toothbrushes for them to kind of experience that brushing. So you can almost have a theme. Um, you yeah. could put a paintbrush and a makeup brush and a toothbrush all together. Again, you need to supervise your child when you're doing DIY um, activities on the shelf. But um, but it's it's also fun to kind of mix it up and think about things that they're just naturally interested in. Um, oh, I love I, that. We yeah. say, yeah, Sorry, we say Tara. I love every, the, the playthings that we send are just about, you know, uh, just a portion of what we recommend in our full program for the environment for the child. So it's, yes, the playthings, and we have the essential playthings, which tune into development windows in a unique way. We kind of strip away what you think of as a toy and build it back up based on what a child is hungry to learn. Things that you might not, a clear plastic tube, you might not think of as a toy or two balls that look identical. One's really heavy, one's really light. One sinks in the bath, one floats in the bath. They may not look like toys, but that's really important learning, learning tools for your child. But it's also, we also give a lot of tips and ideas for the rest of the environment that can be, that can come from your home, come from experiences that you have together that really enhance their learning. So that's the same for the shelf too. It can be something that they're very interested in kind of more broadly than a specific toy. And yeah, and actually that's that's reminding me, Jessica, for those parents that are thinking like, gosh, I just not really sure what to do. Like it's, it's kind of hard sometimes with a newborn or a small person to fill the day and come up with play ideas. Actually, the all of your kits come with a play guide, don't they? So that covers things you can do with the toys, but also things that you can do around the home or different ways of using them. And certainly some of some of the toys that that came, for example, the stacking cups, which are still a firm favorite to start with. We love building towers and knocking them over. And then last summer they lived in the paddling pool and now they live in the bath because he loves watching all the different water pour through and things like that. And um, so it's it's giving you different ways of using things, which I think is so, so valuable, especially for tired parents. It just takes a bit of that thinking out of it when we're not, you know, child development experts, we're, we're mums and dads and, and carers. So having someone else sort of take that pressure off is really nice. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of, you know, if you have open-ended playthings and, and everybody kind of knows, you know, there's the toys that do so much work for the child. Um, and then there's toys that you can really bring into your home that evolve and grow with your child. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if you have these open-ended toys like the cups, they can be used in so many different ways. And eventually, you know, he'll be able to nest them together. And mm-hmm. I found that my children um, didn't weren't able to really nest the cups until you know, 20, 24 months, 23 months, closer to even three. And so knowing that you cut, you get these cups and you're like, when are they supposed to be able to put the cup inside the other cup and do all the things? Um, and it's, and it's sometimes you can find yourself comparing your, your child to your friend's baby, or, you know, you go to your, your, um, you check in with your healthcare provider and you're like, oh, what are they supposed to be doing? And you get this sort of high level information, not very specific information, start Googling, then there's a whole rabbit hole of, (laughs) I don't know what to trust. Um, And so I think that it's really having that confidence in that guide. That's what, what we're trying to do is really support parents to know what to expect through each stage. Um, I think, you know, around independent play, you know, I think that that's something that we all kind of want to know what at what stage is appropriate for, you know, children for, for different stages, right? For what, are, how long are they supposed to be able to play independently? And, you know, it's, 
it's interesting. It really can grow over time and you can really build that capacity. It can be, you know, just five minutes of your baby and just kind of stepping back and letting them, observing them five, 10 minutes, focusing when they're on their back on a play gym, looking at this, this bell, trying to bat this bell, for example, or, um, you know, when they get a little bit older, you can sort of baby proof an area and you can, people talk oftentimes around this kind of creating the safe or yes space where your child, your baby can be safe and play on their own. You know, I, I think we have to make sure that, um, it doesn't become quote baby jail. <laughs> where you yeah. put them in this one space <laughs> and they always have the same things because you want to make sure that they're getting enough experience, you know, even just um, experiencing the different floor textures or different environments in your home can be really positive. So always putting them in the same space isn't great, but you can create this sort of yes spaces, these safe spaces where your, your baby can have a few minutes of of quiet time, of independent playtime. And that is so healthy for them. That that does build their, you know, their capacity for focus. And then as they get a little older, you know, rotating toys on the Montessori shelf, for example, and and continuing to tune into their stage of learning. So what are they trying to learn at each stage? And how can you provide play things that really tune in that will help build their capacity for focus? So yeah. And I think sometimes we just need to get down on the floor with them. And we talked about pretend play. We need to sometimes just get down on the floor with them and play with them. Um, I talked to this fascinating scientist, research scientist, who was studying the 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 um, how babies learn to focus. And she had a, a group, it, it was actually an intervention um, to be able to build what's called executive functioning skills. So later on in life, you want to be able to focus on a task, right? And you want to be able to persist and focus and work through challenges. That kind of focus and learning actually happens in infancy. And what the study found is that if there were children that if they were given just 10 minutes a day of time with their primary caregiver, where the baby and the caregiver were both looking at the same object, like like turning a rattle, like playing with a rattle, but the parent wasn't on their phone. They weren't in another room. They weren't trying to get things done. They were literally just being present down on the baby's level, playing with something that it actually had lasting effects even after the inter, the quote intervention, which is the focus time, 10 minutes of focus time a day, that those babies were able to focus longer wow. later, even months later, they had a greater capacity to focus. So I thought that that was so interesting that you can start to begin at, in early stages of helping your child build capacity for, for focus, which then independent play is, is, a, is a partner to that ability to focus. Yeah, God, it's so powerful, isn't it? But I just want to touch, Jessica, on something that you mentioned about the comparison element, um, because I know that's going to resonate probably with every single mum listening to us talk. And I definitely fell into this trap. And I'm really kind of for that non-judgmental, you know, I'll do me, you do you, let's all support each other. We're all in this same crazy motherhood journey. But my goodness, I fell into that trap because um, my little boy was quote-unquote slow he wasn't slow just on his time scale compared to the average child was a little bit slower um learning to do physical stuff 
He had all the chat. He could play lovely. Um, but he was a bit slow with his kind of rolling and his crawling and his walking. And he's huge. So I'm sure he was just a little bit weighed down. He got there at his own time and he's flying. Um, but I remember going to a play group and all these ones his age were crawling around. Some of them starting to climb and, and walk. And my little Finley just sat there giggling away, clapping at all the babies moving. <laughs> With absolutely no bother about moving himself. And I, you know, everyone's always oh, so lovely and happy. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I walked home and sobbed and sobbed. Because it must be my fault. I must be doing something. He's too slow, blah, blah, blah. And we were a little bit still in COVID. So from a, a healthcare support point of view, there wasn't really anything. Um, and obviously I knew my rational brain, that was ridiculous. Um, but in that, you know, motherhood's an emotional time, isn't it? And mums are sleep deprived and it's really easy to fall into that trap. So it's so important that we we just keep in mind that these are all kind of, all kind of, you know, guides because we've got to put numbers somewhere. But what I really like is that actually your play guides that come with the kits are like roughly between these months but there's no pressure there's no sort of your child should be doing this and you almost feel like then you've got homework to develop that specific skill which takes the joy out of play doesn't it it's all kind of like going with the flow and being led by your child which I think is such a valuable lesson for all parents yeah, I had the same experience. My first was didn't, you know, I, we, have, we have a blog post that talks about, you know, rolling over and, you know, mm -hmm. some babies love to roll over. They love to roll to get around and other babies might roll over once at the end of yeah. the development window or a few times or something and then kind of get onto something else. But I think that, I think that I had the same experience. My my first was a, a bigger boy and he just wasn't getting around He the same way that his peers were. I think what what's the hard part as parents is we're actually not given that nuanced information about when to worry, yeah. right? And, and when, and how to feel confident that it doesn't mean that your child won't be, a, it has, that there's no correlation between when they roll over and whether they're going to be a great athlete in the future, whether they're going to have a happy life, whether they're going to be able to walk around or whatever it is. It's like we try to give parents that perspective and that confidence so that you can feel that inner confidence as a new parent because you're informed. And I think that oftentimes um, we're not given those little windows of when a skill might show up. Walking is another one. I think that a lot of people think that their child should be, you know, that that all children should be walking by one. That's not the case, yeah. you know, and I think that that's it, helping parents know when the typical window is and then when to worry is is very helpful. And that's what we try to do in our guides so that you can feel confident at each stage that your child is, you know, that you're, that they're developing at their own pace, at their own healthy pace, and that you don't have to make meaning out of the future of comparing your baby to your friend's baby. Yeah, it's so true. Because actually with babies, we're talking about months, like, or even weeks sometimes. And that's such a small period of time that we expect so much. Whereas as adults, you know, if you and I did a, learn a new skill four months apart, that would be completely insignificant. But for children, it suddenly feels like, you know, it's, it's like game game over if they're not doing it at the at the same milestone, which is which is ludicrous, really. But we we sometimes forget that they are little people and put a lot of pressure on. I think. Yes, we do. And we should just be playing. Jessica, I keep talking to you all afternoon for me and all morning for you, and um, because I just find it fascinating. I love how we can empower ourselves to support our little ones. I just think it's one of the most beautiful parts of parenthood. And. Um, but I wonder if I could ask you for three top tips before I let you go um, for your baby or your child around playing in the home. 
Yeah. I would say it, it's a little bit outside of play, but the first thing is talking. And mm-hmm. we talk about talking a lot at Love Every and we give examples um, from speech language therapists of, you know, what kind of talking and how to engage and tune into those vocalizations. I would say from birth, that is one of the biggest impacts that you can make as a parent is, is really connecting with your child and tuning into any little vocalization that they make and and giving them a, a fee- feedback on that vocalization and just giving them lots of language. So I would say first it's it's talking, it's um, you know helping them communicate with sign language, with pointing, tuning into what they're trying to learn. Um, that is one of the main things that we talk about. Second is, is, is I think that it is stripping away what we think of as a toy and build your child's environment based on what they're hungry to learn at each stage and give them open-ended playthings that are tuned into um, to that desire, that natural desire that they have to understand how the world works. And so, you know, we obviously, you know, this, we do that at Love Every, but, you know, I would say that if you don't have the products, look at your playthings, think about which ones are really supporting your child's holistic development and understand what they're trying to learn at each stage and tune into that. Um, and I would say third, you know, I think that uh, it's so hard to find the time as parents because we have so many things now. There are so many, the volume of text messages and uh, emails and and Instagram and Instagram posts and all the things that are coming into our lives at any given point can be really overwhelming. Technology is overwhelming. There's also just a lot of pressure and a lot of um, things happening in the world at large that just feel like a lot. And so to whatever extent, it doesn't have to be a long time, but whatever extent you can give your child just 10 to 15 minutes of focused, engaged play a day, that can really make a difference. And it it actually extends through older childhood too, elementary years, even they call it special time. You know, my children call it special time, but if you can give each child, child that you have just a few minutes a day of that kind of focused play that can make a huge difference in their lives and their self-esteem and their learning. Oh, I love it. You are so full of wisdom. And thank you from me and Finley and all the other parents out there that are loving using your Love Every products because they are awesome. And remember, as a Midwife Pit listener, you can use code PIP20 for £20 off a new play kit subscription at loveevery.co.uk. All the T's and C's are in the episode description. Jessica, thank you so much for your time. I'm really grateful. Thank you, Pip. It's been wonderful talking to you and enjoy 18 months is the is one of the cutest stages. So just soak it all up and enjoy. <laughs> Before you head off, I just need to tell you something. 68% of you who listen to my podcast have not hit the subscribe button. So can you do me a favor? If you have ever enjoyed listening and hit subscribe now, it makes a huge difference and helps me to keep bringing you episodes. The bigger the podcast, the bigger the guests, and the more women we can reach and help. Thank you for subscribing, and I look forward to chatting again soon.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.